Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. It reads, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand your word this morning, that you, that you indeed challenge us, but also at the same time comfort us, that you are the one who strengthens, you are the one who fails, Lord, that you are the one who rescues. Help us to trust in you. Lord, my prayer this morning with this sermon is that I may not beat people down, as many of us are already beaten down by the year, by the year, last couple of years. My prayer is that your people would leave this service strengthened, encouraged, and urged to rely all the more in you and not in themselves. We pray and ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are look, we've been looking at the book of Colossians in the last, uh, this week and last week. We're going to be doing so for the remainder of the month. And the, the, the title of the series is Resolutions. We are looking at the, what kind of resolutions should we be making as the people of God, as the church, as we worship God together. What kind of resolutions should we be making? That by the end of the year, we'll be prayerfully saying, Lord, thank you that you have done this work among us. We've been looking at that. But today, in our second uh, uh, sermon in that series, we are looking at our desire to be like Christ. That all of us would have in us this year a commitment to being like Jesus, to growing in our likeness to him. If you are someone who has been going to church for a while, I'm sure that is a desire that is there in you. To love as Jesus loves, to, 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 to accept as Jesus accepts people, to be as bold as he was, to hate sin as much as he did. You may have resolved to grow in your relationship with God this year. 
Perhaps you have made resolutions yourself that I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to be faithful in obeying it more. Perhaps you've said, I'm going to have an accountability partner this year, someone to pray with, who's going to, make, who's going to help me in my relationship with God. But at times as we make these resolutions, we get discouraged. Get discouraged around about February, March. Or some don't even make the resolutions because they have made the resolutions before and those have not come true. And you say to yourself, why would this year be different? Maybe you have stopped making those resolutions. Maybe you have stopped trying because life is so difficult. Life is so uncertain. Even in your walk with the Lord, perhaps you are on autopilot dragging yourself to meet with the people of God. Dragging yourself to go and read the word of God. Dragging yourself to, uh, to prayer. My prayer this morning and my desire after this series is that we may be encouraged not to give up. That we would indeed resolve and be strong in our resolve to commit to growing in God, in his likeness. What we want us to see in the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning in Colossians 1 verses 9 to 14 is that God wants us to grow in wisdom. He wants us to grow in wisdom. We see this, don't we, in, the, in this book of Paul that has been written to the church in Colossae. The first 14 verses, Paul praises them for what God is doing among them. As we get to, uh, to, from, from verses 3 all the way to verses 14, he paints a picture of these people who are committed to growth who are committed to loving one another, who are committed to the gospel of God. And he says, I thank God for people like you. Every time I, I think of you, I'm encouraged. In other words, unlike the Christians in Galatia, unlike the Christians in Corinth, with whom he had harsh words right from the beginning, he's encouraged by these believers. He's encouraged that they take growth seriously. And in verses 9 to 14, he says, he begins in verses 9 by saying, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Verses 9 becomes like an umbrella statement that gets followed by verses 10, 11, and 12. And that umbrella is sort of closed off by verses 13. So in verses 9, he says, we pray, we ask God that, that, that God will fill you with all spiritual wisdom and knowledge, verses 10 to 11, 
says, this is what it would look like for you to be filled with the spirit of wisdom and knowledge. You will be living a life worthy of the gospel, verses 10. You will be growing in your knowledge of God, in the second part of verses 10. You will be strengthened. You will be someone who endures patiently and joyfully as you wait for Christ. You will be someone who rejoices at the fact that they have been adopted into God's family. That is what wisdom and understanding looks like. That is what this spiritual wisdom or this knowledge at the beginning of verses 9 day looks like. He prays this for them. He prays that indeed God would fill them with wisdom. Let's start then. Let's look in detail as what this wisdom um, looks like to them. Verses 10, he prays, I pray that in all, I pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Verses 9 begins with that prayer for knowledge, that you be filled with knowledge. That knowledge could also be substituted with spiritual wisdom and understanding. Because it's actually the same thing. That as you know, you begin to live in a certain way. Now he comes to them and he says, the reason why I'm praying for you to have this knowledge, the reason why I desire for you to be filled with wisdom is that I desire that you may live a life that is worthy of the Lord. That you may live a life that when people look at you, what it means they have a life that is worthy. When people look at you and they hear that you are a Christian, and they, that they look at your life and with what they know of who God is, they say, yes, I can see that. Yes, I can see the grace in that person. Yes, I can see the love, the compassion in that person. Yet, yes, I can see Christ-likeness in that person. That happens when you are living a life that is committed to holiness. By holiness here, I mean more than just uh, not sinning, but rather holiness in a, uh, in a Romans chapter 12 kind of way. A life that is set apart for God. In an Old Testament temple kind of way. A life that has been sanctified. That this person belongs to God. Therefore, they live in a godly manner. Their conduct is keeping in concert with who God is, with the laws of God, with the character of God. Their actions do not undermine who God is. We know this. We see it 
it, it, it happens a lot when you are working for a company or a big company. When the expectation for you is that as you go out there, that you are a representative of the company. So you are called, therefore, to live a life worthy of working here. Sometimes we've seen it if someone sends a, an unwise tweet or says something uh, that puts people off on Facebook, the companies will start distancing themselves from that person. Why? Because they are not living a life that is worthy of their position. Companies start wanting a separation, not wanting the, the bad reputation that is associated with this individual who has sent uh, whatever it is, uh, unwise or, or stupid tweet or, or Facebook post or whatever. Because the reputation of the individual and the company are somehow linked. The reputation of God of Jesus Christ is linked with how Christians live. And God calls Christians to live, therefore, a life that is worthy of the Lord, or worthy of the gospel. What does it look like? It's in the second part of verse 10, from, from and, it says, it looks like this, pleasing God in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in your knowledge. It looks like when God looks at your life, he says, I'm pleased with that. That is what I desire. It looks like when, when God looks at your life, says, this person is doing good. It looks like when God looks at your life, he sees someone who is growing in their knowledge of God, who is not only committed to doing good in the world, but also committed to growing in their understanding of God. You see, beginning with knowledge and ending with knowledge in this, in this text is that once you know God, once you are filled with this wisdom, this is how you will live and you will go back to God and grow more and more in him and then you will live like this. So it becomes a little bit secular, the argument there, verses 9 to the end of verse 10. It begins with knowledge and ends with knowledge. Because the one who knows and starts to live a holy life does not say, now I've moved on. I have this. I have the fruit of the Spirit. I have the patience, love, compassion, and all of that. And now I can just move on with my life. I have perfected holiness. No, they don't do that. The person who knows God, the person who takes holiness seriously, the person who takes sin seriously, knows that they are in a journey, that knows that it is, it is not a destination that you get to holiness, especially until Jesus comes back, but rather it is a journey with God as you grow in him, as you mature in him. You please him more. You do good works. 
The second thing that we see there is that the one who pursues wisdom, they persevere in God. Verses 11. They persevere in God. Verses 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father. So, in verses 11, the person who grows, who is committed to growing in their knowledge of God, what happens to them is that they become strengthened by the power of God. The person who is strengthened is the one who endures patiently, is the one who perseveres to the end. The person who has been strengthened with the power of God, according to his might, that person continues to believe in God. They are the person who, um, in, in verse 12, looks forward to the inheritance. They are the person who gains, who becomes part of the kingdom of light, in verse 12. The other person who perseveres to the end, according to Hebrews. So therefore, as you gain this wisdom from God, as you are committed to growing in him, doing good work, being, living a life worthy of the gospel of God, and then going back to the word of God and, and seeking to grow in that as well, what that does is that it creates a spiritually fit person. A person who the waves of life, though they may come, they are shaken, but they are not moved from faith in God. A person who, despite the difficulties, still commits to him. A person who despises the blessings, because blessings as well can also uh, take us away from God. We can start to believe more in ourselves than not in him. That person does not move in God. They have great endurance and patience. They show willingness to wait on God in his second coming. While they wait, their faith is unmoved in him. And then I want to continue with verses 12. But as you can see there in verses 12, the joyfully giving thanks. It's unfortunate that the, 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 the division of the verse does not start after the end because a sentence actually is, this is one sentence actually, um, but the, the stanza, as it were, begins after the end. Verses 12. That person gives thanks to the Father who has qualified them to share in the inheritance of the saints of the kingdom of life. A person who has spiritual wisdom 
Give thanks to God for being adopted into God's family. You may ask yourselves, where do I get adopted? I get it from inheritance. From being qualified to have a share of the coming kingdom. We know from uh, John chapter 1, verses 12, done once, is that God has adopted us into his family and has called us his children. And our ability to inherit the kingdom of God is because we have trusted in Jesus Christ. We on our own are unworthy to receive anything from God. But because we, are, we have been united with Christ, we have joined him in holiness, we who are, who are unholy, we therefore have a share of the coming kingdom. Because of him. The only reason we have a share is because we have been adopted into God's family. That person who endures to the end. They give thanks to God for their adoption. They look forward to that. They patiently wait for it. They endure until the, the, the will is read in a, in, in a human form. Until the end. The one who does not have wisdom, when difficulties come, they are moved away from faith. Their life is unworthy of the gospel, of the Lord who saved them. They do not please him in every way. They are okay with sin. And then lastly, we see here is that there is a this, is, this should be challenging to us. This should be, uh, when you look at it, you should be asking yourself, am I living in life that is worthy? Am I the one who is growing in my understanding of God? Am I worthy of the, sh of the share of the inheritance that is coming? It can cause us to be hopeless, doesn't it? can cause us to feel bad, to think, when last did I read my Bible faithfully? When last did I do good deeds? Were those enough? Were those enough for me to be accepted into God's family? But what, to, what I don't want you to miss as we look at the book of Colossians chapter 1, especially from the... Um, right from the beginning actually, but especially in verses 13 and 14, is that the one who calls us to be holy also by his grace enables us to live a holy life. Let me repeat that. The one who calls us to be holy also by his grace enables us to live this life. Where do we say this? We see this throughout, but more especially in four places in this text. I don't know if you notice when you read verses 9. 
Paul begins by saying that I am praying for you. What is he praying? What is he asking God? He is praying and asking God to fill you up with the knowledge of his will. He's praying and asking that God would grant the wisdom. That God would equip. That God would do the overarching thing that I spoke about at the beginning. So that you may live a life worthy of the gospel. So that you may praise him in every way. Paul is asking that God would do this. That you would fill them with that wisdom. We see this in verses 11 as well, where it begins by saying that, um, let me read it from the middle of verses 10, where it says, Growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. You see who's strengthening there? Are you strengthening yourself? No. You're being strengthened by God. It is something that is being done to the person, to them. Again, verses 12. Joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the, in the, in the inheritance. God has qualified them. Just as it was God who fills people up with this knowledge, as Paul is praying here. Just as it is God who strengthens people according to his will. Just it is also God who does what? Who qualifies people to share in his, in his inheritance. The main reason why this is the case is because the one who is now calls themselves a Christian... The one who has been uh, rescued, verses 13, has been rescued by God. We say this in verses 13, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son whom he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. It points to God. All of this points to God. It points to God being the one who rescues, God being the one who qualifies, God being the one who strengthens, God being the one who fills up with knowledge. We can sometimes, um, as believers, start by trusting in Jesus and saying we can do nothing, we, we need him, we are desperate, but as we move on with our lives, after trusting in Jesus, as we grow in him, act as if we are saving ourselves. We are growing ourselves, as it were, through our own effort. What I want you to see in this text, what I want you to see Paul praying for here, is that they the Christians in Colossae are going to be filled up by God, are going to be strengthened by God, the God who rescued them. That God continues to act through his spirit 
to finish the work that he started. He does not leave us on our own and lets us run and says, I expect you to be perfect by the time you get to me. But you are on your own. No. God is there with us. Urging us through his spirit. Encouraging us through the community that he has given. Strengthening us through his word. Reminding us of what he has done through Christ. That as we face death, ourselves being comforted about who he is, the God who does not change. God is there with us. So as we make these resolutions this year, as we make this commitment as a church, to grow in our knowledge of God, I want to pray that we would not be discouraged. That we would run to him and pray what Paul prayed for. And ask what Paul asked for. To be filled with the knowledge of God. To please him in every way. To live a life worthy of the Lord. That as you pursue that, we know that we are not on our own. But he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. It was Augustine who said this. In his confessions, uh, he prayed that, God, give me the will to do what you command. But when your commands are obeyed, it is from you that you get the strength to obey them. Yes, I want to do the right thing. Yes, I want to live a life worthy of the gospel. But when that has happened, I don't proudly look at myself and say, I have done it. And offer advice to others on how to do it. And they pay money to hear me. But instead, I point to the one who is given the strength. I point to the one who, who can enable people to love holiness and hate sin. So this year, my prayer for us as a church that we may rely all the more in God and not in ourselves. That we may run to him as we pray about the finances of our church, about church attendance this year, as we pray about uh, COVID with whatever strength, uh, you know, strain we have this year, that we may run to him. But we may know that all help comes from the Lord. All rescue comes from him. Apart from him, we are nothing. That we may learn that unless the Lord builds, the laborers labor in vain. That we may learn that apart from him, we're just laboring on our own here. 
doing what we want to do. My prayer is that you would learn to rely on him. Let's pray together and ask God to help us with that. Heavenly Father, this is a difficult message, even for me, because it appears unnatural. It appears weak, Lord, in, the, in human eyes. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to trust in you, that you would help us to run to you as a church, that you would help us to see that you can do more, immeasurably more than we can do with our own strength. I pray that you would help us to be men and women who are quick to go on our knees and slow to think of human solutions to problems and slow to go to our own wisdom. Help us, Lord, this year that 2022 would be the year in which we rely on you more than anything. We pray and ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.